Hello, and welcome to Killer Queens, a true crime podcast. I'm your host, Torella. And I'm your better, prettier, younger host, Tori. We're sisters who are obsessed with true crime and love gal palin with you about cases. You can expect the occasional curse word, lots of friends quotes, and all the 90s nostalgia. To get in on the conversation, check us out at KillerQueensPodcast.com. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook at KillerQueensPodcast. And we're on YouTube at KillerQueens, a true crime podcast. Okay, y'all, grab your Capri Suns or your Surge and let's talk about some true crime. Alrighty, Roo dudes, welcome back to Killer Queens. Hey, y'all. I went with dudes again. I'm, yeah, I'm very dudes heavy this week. But if it's your first time, welcome to the show. So we are telling true crime stories with 90s vibes. You're going to hear a little banter. You're going to hear a little 90s references. You might hear some movie quotes. We can't know. You will definitely hear curse words. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's a definite. That's a definite, yeah. So just to let you know about that. um, Of course, if you would like some extra episodes, we have got our uh, two shows on Patreon a week. So that's three shows a week. Should you join the appropriate level at Patreon? (laughs) Um. But everybody gets a little something. You get ad-free episodes no matter what level you join at. You get, what else do you get? You get a bonus episode a month no matter what level you join at. And you get access to all of our older episodes. That's true. We have had people asking about that. Yeah, that's right. So there's totally something for everybody. Um, Side note, if there's anything you feel like we should know, I don't think I've put it out there very much, like our actual email address, but if you guys have stuff you want to tell us, you can always email us at killerqueenspodcast at gmail.com. comes right to us. So, you know, if you have something that you're like, hey, I really, really uh, feel like you should know this, you could certainly email us and perhaps not put it in an iTunes review. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, whatever your journey is, I guess, but it would be nice to maybe have a little bit of a conversation about it and then possibly fix it before, um, you know. Yeah, before before it turns other people off to the show. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. I think that that's fair. Yeah, Yeah, we're totally cool talking with you. We want to talk with you. We're buds. We always want to do better, so. Yeah. All right, so today's case is Amber Hilberling. That is a mouthful. I know it is. Yeah, this was requested by Amanda Bailey. Hey, girl, thanks. And researched and written by Madison. Hey, girl, thanks. <laughs> Yay. Yay. So, um, shall we? I think we shall. I also just want to put this out there as a disclaimer. I'm having some allergy-related stuff going on, oh. so if my voice is scratchier than usual or something, that's what it is. Yeah. That's all I'm going to say about that pretty used to you sounding like shit but that's fine wow okay well (laughs) wow (laughs) merry christmas happy holidays yeah that's what i'm getting from you yeah exactly this is my holiday spirit what were you gonna say i was just gonna say i have some like feelings about this case obviously we'll kind of get to our conclusions at the end but it's a pretty wild one don't you think yeah i totally think it's a wild one i listened to court junkies episode on it last night and watched a little bit of that well there was only a little bitty clip of the dateline thing the whole time I was like are you kidding me right now and then 
I literally was in a funk about it last night. Like, I don't know why, but it affected me. Yeah, I thought it was very interesting. Um, There's some things that I feel like just don't make sense. I don't know. There's just a lot. There's a lot to this case. It's it's a lot of factors, I think, that like collide into one situation, you know? Yeah, I 100% agree. And I think it's going to be really, really interesting to discuss. Yeah. And the like you mentioned, the Court Junkie episode, very good. And if you guys haven't listened to Court Junkie, Jillian covers things just from the trial perspective. So she's generally got trial audio. She pulls like the court transcripts and uh, she's got a partnership with Law and Crime Network. So she gets a lot of trial audio, video, all that kind of stuff to use for her episodes. So you should definitely check it out if you like the the trial process, if you've not yet. But um, her episodes are always super thorough. So shout out to Jillian. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> She's so nice, too. Um, okay. It was a warm day in Tulsa, Oklahoma on June 7th, 2011. Um, I read that it was in the triple digits. Well, I heard on the Dateline thing that it was nearing the triple digits. But yeah, the only reason why they used the term spring was because it's technically spring. It had didn't feel anything like spring. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. Because, yeah, technically now would be fall, but it snowed all day the other day. And yeah, yeah Ben so like, was like, it's still fall, though. And I was like, girl, did you look outside? It's winter. <laughs> He's like, but mom, it's still fall. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I guess technically it is still fall. It's still yeah. fall technically just using that word. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. So June 7th, 2011, we're in Tulsa, Oklahoma. A repairman had just left a 32-story apartment building to grab some supplies from his truck. Another man was taking a break from work and had stepped outside for some fresh air. And then a loud crash broke through the quiet afternoon, and both men looked up to see Josh Hilberling falling from the broken window of his 25th floor apartment. That is the shit nightmares are made of. I know, exactly. And I think we've <sighs> talked about it before because... Anytime, I can't imagine the moment before you're about to die and knowing that it's coming. Mm, exactly. You're That's like, a well, lot of time to think yes. about what's about to happen to you. It really is. It's like, it's two things. It's so fast and so slow. Mm -hmm. Like, it's got to be, oh my gosh, it's awful. Yeah. He ends up landing on the concrete roof of the eighth floor parking garage. His wife, Amber, who was seven months pregnant at the time, and she was still in the apartment, was screaming. She's rushing down the elevator to him, but unfortunately, it was too late. 23-year-old Josh Hilberling was dead. 23! That is so crazy. Oh, my gosh. And then five years later, serving 25 years for the second-degree murder of her husband, Amber Hilberling would be found dead in her jail cell. Did she truly murder Josh, or was it a horrible accident? Did she decide that suicide was her only way out, or did someone in the prison murder her? We got some questions to answer. A lot to unpack here. Unfortunately, I don't know that we answer them. This case is probably, like, the bane of your existence, honestly. Yeah, because everything <laughs> is a question mark. Yeah, exactly. Amber Hilberling, who was born Amber Michelle Fields, was born on October 1st, 1991 in Joplin, Missouri, to Michael and Rhonda Bowers. When she was three months old, her family moved to Tulsa, Oklahoma. As she grew up and attended school, Amber was described as smart and athletic. She generally maintained a 4.0 GPA and participated in soccer, volleyball, track, and dance. She was a great writer and loved fashion, makeup, and shoes. Amber's parents divorced and her mother soon remarried. 
She continued to live with her mother, Rhonda, and her stepfather, Brian Whitlock. The family was reportedly well-known in the Tulsa area and very well-off. Brian was a successful plastic surgeon, and Rhonda was a nurse. Joshua Blaine Hilberling was born on May 30, 1988 in Tulsa. Patrick and Jean Hilberling said their son was a sweet boy, that he was always willing to neglect his own needs in the face of others. He was known for his bright smile and witty sense of humor. He had a large family with three brothers and two sisters. He was a big football star in high school in a town where football was a way of life. After high school, Josh was quick to enlist in the United States Air Force. It's starting to feel like football is a way of life in every town. Yeah, definitely. I don't know. I feel like everything that we've done lately is heavy on the football. I'm like, (laughs) am I missing something? Should I have tried out? Of course you should have tried out. You miss 100% (laughs) of the shots you don't take. That's true. It could have been a tight end because you know this girl's got a tight end. (laughs) I'm sorry. I don't think there's a position called buns of steel. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Too bad. Yeah, it just feels like football is kind of all over the place, but that's probably just because of outcry on the Patreon. Yes, and it is currently football season, so. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. In fantasy football and, yeah, don't even get me started. Okay. (laughs) Josh and Amber met in 2008 at a Halloween party. Friends say that they didn't initially hit it off, but after they started hanging out in 2010, it wasn't long before they fell in love. The two were quickly enamored with each other and had what seemed to be a whirlwind romance. Amber often described Josh as the love of her life. She followed him to Texas as he completed his Air Force basic training. Soon after, Josh was sent orders that required him to move to Eelson Air Force Base in Alaska. Since Josh and Amber weren't married, she wouldn't be allowed to live in the on-base housing with him. They applied for a marriage license in August of 2010 in Wichita Falls, Texas, and were married in a small courthouse ceremony. In October of the same year, the two moved to Alaska, leaving everyone they knew behind in Oklahoma. I think that that's something that we, you see so often, are all of these reasons to hurry up and get married in the military, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, oh, well, we can't live on base together. Let's get married. Oh, I want you to have insurance. Let's get married. Like. I've right. seen that happen so many times, and I, I mean, like Amber was only what? She was 19, or 18 at the time, right? Yeah, 18 when they got married, I think. Yeah, I mean, that's that's so young. It is so young, and I feel like at that time in your life, you think that the only, like, oh, but no big deal, we'll just get married, it's fine. You don't realize mm-hmm. everything that goes into that, and also, I feel like there needs to be some change for the military because it happens so often. Yeah, and I think it's like you said. There's these all these rules, right? So it's like, if if I'm um, mature enough to give my life for my country, possibly, can I live with my girlfriend? Yeah, you would hope so. Like, <laughs> you know, why why make people feel like they have to get married to just do regular life things? Like, I don't know. I, I'm sure. I mean, I know that there's a lot that goes into that, but it just feels like maybe if there wasn't the feeling of like, well, this is the only way we can, you know, do this. Like, couples cohabitate all the time. Like, get with the program military. Yeah, and you can live with somebody whenever you want to, like at whatever age you want to be. Living with someone is way less of a commitment than getting married to someone. Right. I don't see the issue, but maybe I'm missing something. Right. 
Um, life in Alaska was not super easy. I mean, as you would imagine, they didn't have any friends or family there to support them. Um, Josh is in the military. He's working all the time. Well, it's coming into winter in Alaska, which is what? Oh my gosh. So much darkness. Mm Mm-hmm. And, you know, seasonal, yeah, that thing is real. I cannot remember the name of it. And, I mean, when you're surrounded by that much darkness, plus not really anybody to spend time with, not really anybody to talk to, you know? I mean, sure, she could talk on the phone. It's not the same. Seasonal affective disorder, excuse me. Okay, yeah. I was like, I cannot remember the name of it. Um, But, I mean, even here, I get it in the winter. Like, Mm -hmm. I, you know, like January, February, I lose a lot of motivation. I definitely feel more depressed. It's just like, I can't imagine what it would be like to be dark most of the day. Mm -mm. Like, I just don't even know. Nope. I have no idea. And of course, that's going to put strain on a relationship. So it was not, it didn't take long for that honeymoon phase to be over, (laughs) unfortunately. And Amber ended up getting pregnant at this time. So, you know, I think that's going to make you feel just all of those things are going to make you feel incredibly lonely. And that's not a good way to feel in a marriage. I mean, you and it's I don't think it's through any fault of anybody. You know, he's doing what he has to do. He has to go to work and and she she's there with him. It's it's just a very difficult life, military life both ways, like. Being in the military and being a military spouse, I I don't think I've, I'm strong enough for it. So I think it's amazing that people make it work. Yeah, I don't know how people do it. I honestly don't. Mm-mm. Amber was described as someone who's used to being pampered, and she didn't like this new lifestyle. And less than a year after moving to Alaska, Josh was honorably discharged from the Air Force, and the couple moved back to Tulsa. So now we're going to go back to the day of the accident. So this is Tuesday, June 7th, 2001. Amber and Josh have been living in the apartment for about two weeks. They'd just moved back from Alaska. Were, they were waiting for their house to be finished. Amber's mother said that the apartment in the University Club Tower high-rise belonged to her and Amber's stepfather. The high-rise apartment building was the tallest residential building in the state of Oklahoma with 32 floors overlooking the Arkansas River. Amber and Josh had expected their new home to be finished by June 1st, but the ready date had been pushed back to the 15th. Like, that happens story of everybody's of life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like building a house. That sucks. They'd initially been staying at Rhonda's home with the rest of Amber's siblings and step-siblings, but Rhonda said that she caught Josh using drugs. With a no-tolerance policy for drug use in her home, Rhonda kicked both of them out, but she allowed them to stay at their high-rise apartment. She said that this apartment, which was on the 25th floor, was used for patient overflow when her husband had patients that came in from out of town. Oh, that's nice. Very nice. He must be very successful. (laughs) Wow. To have his own apartment just for that. Yeah. On the day of the accident, Josh and Amber were deep into an argument. Amber, seven months pregnant at the time, said the argument had carried over from the night before. And... Remember, a lot of the information that we have, well, all of the information that we have, obviously, about the incident is Amber's story, because right. unfortunately, Josh is not here to tell his side. We do have some statements from family and friends about the state of the relationship and, and history. We've got some police reports and things like that. But for this day, we're, I mean, it all comes from Amber, you know? Mm-hmm. So just, you know, keep that in mind. 
Amber's father was getting married, and she and Josh were set to be in the wedding party. And Josh had apparently told Amber that he didn't want to go, that he was going to go to Tennessee with friends of his to a concert. Amber said that she believed Josh was going so he could sell drugs. Earlier in the day while arguing, Josh had thrown a laundry basket at a window in the bedroom. The window, which led from the bedroom out onto the balcony, had broken. Shortly after, Amber called the building manager to see if there was any way that someone could fix the broken window, and luckily there were two repairmen in the building already fixing another window. Wow, what luck. Uh, Yeah. That's something to keep in mind, that they're fixing another window. Yeah, definitely. How easily are these windows breaking? The two men came to apartment 2509 to evaluate the window. One of the repairmen left the apartment to go down to the work truck to grab supplies while the other man stayed in the bedroom. He expressed concern about how angry Josh seemed while he was there and that he was concerned for Amber's safety. As he moved out to the balcony to start cutting glass, the couple went into their living room. The man on the balcony heard a loud crash. His co-worker called from the ground to say that he saw someone fall from a window. He stepped into the living room, expecting to see that Amber had been hurt by Josh and that Josh had possibly died by suicide. He saw Amber standing in the living room screaming in a completely broken window. Another man was taking a break outside of his workplace. He heard a large crash and looked up towards the apartment building. He saw something falling fast. It took him a moment before he realized it was a person flailing, facing straight down. Oh my gosh, that is so terrifying. I cannot imagine. Seeing that windows on the high-rise apartments don't open, it was easy to spot the only open space on the building. A woman stood at the open window screaming. Josh landed on the concrete roof of the 8th floor parking garage, making his fall from a total of 17 stories. Reports say the fall only took three to four seconds. Amber quickly went down the elevator into her husband's broken body. At only 23 years old, Josh Hilberling was dead. Despite his obvious traumatic injuries, Amber screamed for someone to help him. She kissed his face, continuing to shout for someone to help her husband. So there's a dateline on this case, but I could only find the first part of it. I think it's called Shattered, but they have more than one Shattered episodes, Mm. so that's confusing. But um, they actually show the photos of, like, Amber next to his body, and you can see his bones poking out. Oh, my God. And I'm like, did you have to put that on Dateline? Like, that's, like, on network television. I don't know. That just seems very... You can't see his face or anything like that because she's huddled over him, but... It's pretty intense. It's. Well, yeah, I think that because you never expect to see something like that. And then also it kind of reminds me. Remember the Winter Olympics and the guy that died, he was. Luging. Yeah. And yeah. he hit the wall. You oh didn't God, see... They showed that so many times. So many times. You didn't see anything gruesome. Like I couldn't see any bones protruding blood, anything like that. But it was so traumatic to watch. I'm like, why are we why are we allowed to watch this on the news? Yeah, because it's like, you know that that's the moment a person dies. Like, it's... Yeah, no one should be able to... Or no one should have to see that. I don't know. No. Yeah. And like, yeah, you don't expect to be watching the news and be like, oh, okay, well, you just watched... You just witnessed a person die. Like, mm-hmm. okay. Yeah. That's... It's a lot. It is a lot. The first officer on scene, he pretty much just said he remembered chaos initially. There were paramedics with Josh... Police were pouring into the building in the parking lot. Um, A crowd had gathered, you know, because a lot of people, I mean, a few people saw it happen. And then I'm sure they were like, oh, my God, whoever is with them, come over here and look. Somebody fell out of the window. 
Right. Um, the first officer on the scene was uh, Don Holloway, and he said that his mind quickly went to suicide or an accidental fall, and that murder was the furthest thing from his mind, which is understandable. Like, well, given the way that the accident or the crime, whatever way you want to look at it, took place, like, mm-hmm. it makes sense. Yeah. So he took Amber away from Josh's body. He felt like, you know, he's like, she's pregnant. She probably doesn't need to be around this. This isn't the best place for her. So he brought her to the police station and they put her in an interview room with her grandmother, Gloria, in there with her. And he said at that point, she was just a witness. This was not anything other than they just needed a place for her to be and they wanted to let her have like a support system there with her. Mm-hmm. Um, and they didn't suspect any foul play or anything like that. Being that it's an interview slash interrogation room, it is wired. So we've got audio and video from this. And of course, they're talking the whole time. Yeah, Amber kind of can't stop talking about it, which I guess right. would be understandable. Yeah, she's just pouring out of her. Yeah. So he's sitting in another room and he can hear what's going on. And he notices that she's talking about what happened. And he kind of felt like some of the things that she, was saying about it he needed to pay attention to he's like you know kind of perking up they were right <laughs> they kept saying if we stay together i'm gonna kill him I'm so how did this you. happen <laughs> why didn't i just leave <laughs> he was leaving i kept just saying and when he leaves i'll go to my grandma's <laughs> why didn't i just leave he'd still be alive So some of the things that she said were, um, Josh is dead. I wish I could get it out of my head. Every time I close my eyes, I'm going to see it for the rest of my life. Um, She talked about just wanting to know what was going through his head. She talked about, you know, what do you think, like you said, when you know you're about to die? Um, She said, I just want you to be here. Just come back, please. This is going to turn into a nightmare. I killed him. And then she said, this isn't fair. I'm a horrible person. Who could do that? Who could do that? Push my husband and make him fall out the window. And her grandmother goes, Amber, quit saying you pushed him out the window. Did you intentionally? And I'm sure her grandmother was like, because she kept saying stuff like, one of the things that she said was, Josh's family said, if we stay together, I'd kill him. I guess they were right. And like all this stuff. And I'm sure her grandmother was like, would you lock it up like yeah like this doesn't sound good yeah exactly like yeah yeah we're not at home by ourselves and amber said no of course not that that she didn't mean to push him out the window she said i'm gonna go to jail and gloria says don't say anything until your attorney gets here her grandmother is uh got some good advice for her Mm -hmm. amber says i wonder if his parents know yet they were right they kept saying if we stay together i'm gonna kill him And she said, my last thought was, please catch yourself. Okay, so that those some of those statements are indicative that there's some at the very least that there's turmoil in the relationship. Mm -hmm. Um, It does not sound good that he falls out the window to his death. And then you say, well, they were right. They said if we stayed together, I would kill him. Yeah. And her saying over and over because she said it multiple times. Mm-hmm. I pushed him. I can't believe I pushed him. Who would do that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I pushed him out the window. I know she said that several times, too. I pushed him out the window. Like, yes. That doesn't sound good. 
As the story unfolded and the press became involved, a narrative began to kind of write itself. People started to see Amber not as a young, beautiful, pregnant widow, but as a murderer. Both Josh and Amber's family came forward to tell investigators and the press of a marriage that was not as romantic as it seemed on the outside. They both said that Amber and Josh were victims and instigators of domestic violence. As things had become more and more strained while they lived in Alaska, they both reportedly called the police more than once on each other. There were lots of verbal fights that occasionally escalated to physical violence. Um, Amber called the police while living in Alaska after an argument with Josh had turned to him knocking her plate out of her hand, getting in her face, grabbing her right breast, and squeezing it hard in an attempt to pop her breast implant. Good God, what? That's... (sighs) That's... I don't like that. Well, and he left bruises and popped a blood vessel on her chest. That's how hard he squeezed her. Yeah, and... Thank goodness breast implants are, are pretty damn strong, but because she would have had to have surgery yeah, if he had been able to do it. But that's, that's, a, this is a very, very violent relationship. I mean, this is, this very. is a not good relationship on both sides, but this, this adds context, you know, it's not just because I think initially the media was really just putting out. Amber's abuse and Mm. neither of the abuse is right it's not okay but it did go both ways um I think it's pretty apparent yes police photographed her injuries and Josh was taken into custody but no charges were ever filed five months later Josh was honorably discharged from the air force and reports said that this was due to Josh's abuse of drugs as well as the fact that he was found to be selling them so why was he honorably discharged that's what I don't understand. Like, wouldn't, wouldn't that, that be a dishonorable? That's what I would think. But I don't, you know, again, we're not we're not military people. We don't know. But it just doesn't seem like that's um, an honorable reason to get discharged. But maybe that's not what they mean by that. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, that just seems strange. Because um, that would definitely be something that um, would not, I would think, would not be living up to the standards of, like, ethical behavior of a military person yeah i would think that the air force wouldn't want that as the you know right the face of what they're doing yeah just a month before his death josh filed a restraining order against amber he said that she'd grabbed a floor lamp pushed him and threw the lamp at him he needed both stitches and staples for a laceration on his head good god I know. Josh's father said that he would often call him in tears. One time he told his father that Amber pushed him down the stairs into the basement. Amber's mother, however, reported that when the sheriff came to her house to serve this restraining order, both Josh and Amber laughed about the matter, not taking it seriously. Josh's father said the marriage didn't make any sense and that he thought Josh was making a huge mistake. Okay, I feel like, though, I have been around other couples like one in particular that I'm thinking of that were incredibly volatile and incredibly I would say violent towards each other I mean there were multiple times that neighbors called the police on them because of you could hear them arguing I know that they both were arrested at different times because of you know like domestic assault Mm -hmm. um, throwing ashtrays at each other I don't even know what else 
Mm-hmm. But when it came time to prosecute, they were so quote unquote in love mm-hmm. that neither of them did anything. They were like, oh, yeah. because they've made up at that point. Exactly. And I think that that's what happened here. It would be these volatile incidents. I think they both, and look, they're young. Amber's 19 at this point. Yes. At the point that Josh dies. And he's they're, 23. Yeah. They're they're young. They're immature. They obviously both have some anger issues. Um, they're, they're not thinking through. I mean, and as human beings, we don't learn conflict resolution. We learn it by watching other people, mm-hmm. typically. However, your parents resolve issues or you see other people or whatever it is. Like, we don't learn that kind of stuff. And they're so young and they're just not, I just don't think they're, I mean, it's hard to control that when when you're in the heat of the moment. I mean, I'm certainly not good at it. Well, yeah. And I feel like, I mean, I have talked to a friend of mine fairly recently and he was like, he said that he has had to learn to take a different route other than violence because he was like, violence is a totally effective way to handle things. Like, it gets shit done, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. It's not right, but it right. works. Mm-hmm. And, and you have to. to yeah. And and that's another thing about like human emotions. Anger is more readily available. Right. Like we can access it so much easier because and also it's easier just to explode mm-hmm. than to backtrack and say, what am I really upset about? What is yeah. the real feeling I'm experiencing and how do I handle that versus I'm pissed at you. I'm going to throw something at you. You know, yeah, like, thank God it's for just human you. nature. I know, right? Like, and that's the thing. Like, had they been in marriage counseling, you know, could some of this have been prevented? Um, And maybe they shouldn't have ever gotten married, but they were married. So, you know, maybe, maybe something to help them get through their arguments in a safe way. Oh, it's just... Again, like you know, like we said, there's just so many factors that kind of all collided. But, you know, and the other thing, like you mentioned, this happens all the time. You see it all the time. Somebody files a domestic violence report or restraining order or whatever it is. And then, yeah, by the time it comes, you know, you've got to go to court or whatever, um, they the people don't go or they don't stick to the restraining order or whatever because they're together. They live together. Like, you know, it's it's very up and down. It's a roller coaster. I was Absolutely. super mad yesterday. Um, we, you know, I took it too far. Today, we're a lot better, you know, until we get in our next fight. It's just what happens. Mm-hmm. So to this day, there are many speculations of what actually happened in the apartment. But Amber has stuck to the same story. She recalled the repairman arriving and her and Josh walking into the living room, continuing their argument. She described it as a yelling match that started from about five to six feet away from each other. She said Josh then came towards her and grabbed her by the shoulders to shake her. She said that her first thought was of her unborn son, and so she immediately pushed Josh off of her. And she said that Josh lost his balance and stumbled backwards, falling through the window and to his death. The Hilberling's neighbor reported that he heard a fighting match coming from the apartment. He then recalled hearing what sounded like running from left to right from the door to the window, a woman screaming, no, no, no a period of quiet, and then the same woman screaming, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. On June 7th, Amber was arrested and charged with first-degree murder. 
largely based off of the statements that she made after being brought to the police station. The charge was later changed to second-degree murder, and police believed that she meant for Josh to go out the window that day. Amber's family was in disbelief that she'd been arrested for Josh's murder. While the couple had their problems, they couldn't fathom that she had murdered her husband. The first questions arose around whether police could use the tape they obtained of Amber in the interrogation room. Should she have been read her Miranda rights beforehand? And, you know, because they didn't bring her in and tell her anything. They just brought her in and set her down. They were just trying to find a place to stick her, basically. Well, yeah, and they didn't say anything about, like, hey, anything you say and do can be used against you. Yeah, exactly. And so, and typically that means statements are not going to be admissible then. Yeah, they they recorded her without her knowledge. Yes. Now, anytime you're in, like, like all of us, if you're in an interrogation room, your ass is being recorded. Don't you say anything. <laughs> like, always get an attorney. Shop Absolutely. Like yeah. She's, yeah, she's not thinking. And also, she's, if she legit did not mean for him to fall through that window, she's not thinking anything because she doesn't think she did anything. Not that she doesn't think she did anything wrong. She, she seemed like she felt very guilty, at least the words that she said, but not on purpose. Right. Yeah. You know. Yeah. She wasn't like, oh my gosh, I murdered somebody. Right, exactly. It was ultimately decided that these statements were admissible because Miranda rights are only applicable if a suspect is being questioned and Amber was not. So she made these statements voluntarily and they said that Miranda rights don't apply. I, I don't know how I feel about that. I don't agree with it. I'm going to tell you that right now. I do not agree with it. Yeah, I don't either, because that would be this to me, that would be the same thing as if they had bugged her phone without a warrant, right? Because, again, they're not questioning her. So what if she'd been sitting in the hallway saying this stuff? They wouldn't have gotten that on tape. Like, they just stuck her in a room to stick her in a room. I don't know. I just, yeah, without Miranda rights, I feel like that's the same as wiretapping a phone without a warrant. That wouldn't have been admissible. No. But why did they bring her to the jail anyway? If they were just trying to, if they were just trying to find somewhere to put her, couldn't she have gone to her grandmother's house? That's she what have gone I to was. Her parents yeah, house? exactly. Like have somebody come pick her up and be like, you know, I mean, I guess they probably wanted to question her because she was a witness, but still, of course, a lot of times they do that at the her. scene, <laughs> right? Yeah, and they didn't if, question her. Yeah, if they were going to question her, then that would have made the situation more apparent to her. Rather than her, I feel like what they did was, it's like that tactic where you you say nothing and then somebody literally pours their heart out. But mm-hmm. they, I feel like they went about it in a really sketchy way. They didn't say anything. So Mm-mm. I don't feel like she, that should be admissible in court because she had no idea what was going on. She was reacting. Right. Yeah, I agree. She was released on bond two days after her arrest, and she gave birth to their son, Levi, in August. Beginning in December of the same year, she ended up having her bail revoked three times due to not charging her ankle monitor multiple times and failing several court-mandated drug tests, testing positive for marijuana. So she's out on bail, and she has to wear an ankle monitor, and they said that her ankle monitor would beep so loud like they're like there's no way you cannot know that this monitor is about to go dead it's so loud it's so annoying 
it will make sure that you know about it. And she would just let it die like 10 times or something. And they're like, listen, bitch, you're not supposed to do that. Like, yeah, (laughs) come on. I mean, charge your monitor. You know better. Yeah. Yeah. Just before the trial, Assistant DA Michelle Keeley offered Amber a plea deal, admission of guilt, and a sentence of five years in prison. So that would mean no trial and that Amber would be able to get out of prison very likely in less than the full five-year sentence. She'd be able to be involved in Levi's life. But Amber declined the plea deal, saying that she couldn't admit to something that she didn't do. And finally, in March of 2013, Amber stood trial for the murder of Josh Hilberling. This is another thing that pisses me off, plea deals. Like, Mm -hmm. because we already know that she ended up getting sentenced to 25 years in prison. Did the, did the crime warrant five years or 25 years? Which one? Yeah, if you're going to, if you're going to put it on the table as a possibility for a plea deal, how in the world can that jump from five to 25? That's not fair. If you feel like five is enough, five should be Mm -hmm. enough no matter which way you slice it. Exactly. Yeah. So it's like you can either take the plea deal now. I mean, I guess that's not much incentive to take the plea deal and admit guilt. Yeah, to take the plea deal. But okay, then then you'll get seven if you go to trial. I I I don't know. I I don't I don't think there should be an incentive for plea deals anyway because all plea deals do is add another win for the prosecution to me. Exactly. Because it's very, it's very um. I just want to get the answer I want to get, right? Like, I just want to win. Mm-hmm. And I, in that, I know I've talked about this podcast so much, that uh, Justice in America podcast, they do yeah. an episode just on plea deals. And I did not know this, but they said something like, it was either like 94% or 96% of criminal prosecutions end in a plea deal. And I did not know that. It's only 90- like 4 or 6% that actually get tried in court. Wow. Which is, I just did not, I was not aware of that. It's interesting. It's because plea deals are a way more, what's the word? Like, they're beneficial for prosecution. They seem better. It's like, why wouldn't you take Mm -hmm. it? Yeah. Yeah. It was a big decision as to whether the trial would take place in Tulsa, as the case had been heavily publicized and many questioned as to whether Amber would get a fair trial. District Judge Kurt Glasgow decided the trial would take place in Tulsa. In addition to ruling that Amber's statements in the interrogation room were admissible, Judge Glasgow also said that neither the prosecution or defense could bring up reports or allegations of abuse between Josh and Amber unless Amber brought it up first. He also ruled that Amber's claims of Josh abusing and selling drugs were not relevant to him being pushed out the window. Mm. I think I disagree with that. Two, if you're on drugs, that affects your mental state, yes? Yes. Certain drugs can make you more violent. Yes. Certain drugs can make you more irritable. I think it's, if they were having an argument, I think it's relevant. But Well, and if they were, if they were having an argument about what Amber said, if, if what Amber said is true, they were having an argument directly about drugs because she thought that he was going to go to Tennessee not for a concert but to sell drugs. And exactly. And miss a wedding. Yeah. Yeah, and if you can't show his history of being discharged from the military because of that, if you can't bring people on saying, I I know that he was abusing drugs, I know that he was selling drugs, then you can't back up that argument at all. I don't see how this doesn't directly relate to it. 
I know. Yeah. It, it, I mean, it very much seems like, like it was just stacked against her, honestly. Yeah. They were like, okay, Amber, you can get on the stand, but you actually can't defend yourself. Yeah, exactly. Witness statements weighed heavily with the prosecution. They argued that there was no way that Amber, 5'5", five, five, and seven months pregnant, could have pushed Josh, 6'4", four, former football star and military trained, out the window unless he was not paying attention. They believed that Josh had been messing with the television or looking out the window when Amber had gotten a running start from the front door of the apartment and pushed her husband out the window. The witnesses outside of the building saw Josh falling and said that he was falling face first. Prosecutors said he must have been pushed from the side or behind to fall this way, and they believe that once Amber realized how poor the glass was after Josh broke the window in their bedroom, she quickly made the plan to push Josh through the living room window. I'm sorry. I don't mean to uh, scoff, but I'm just not sure about that. <laughs> Investigators found no signs of a struggle inside the apartment, and everything seemed to be in place. But she didn't say they had this giant struggle. She said, he put his hands on me. And, and I, pushed I him shoved off. him off. Yeah. yeah. Amber continued her claim of self-defense. She said that Josh had always had a bad temper. She said that he had a drug addiction, that he would spend a lot of time partying out at bars and strip clubs. Photographs were shown in court of bruises on Amber's lower neck and shoulders that she said were from Josh. Her defense said that Josh was falling at approximately 75 miles per hour, and there's no way the witnesses could have seen Josh exit the window and what his exact position was. He could have easily turned as he fell. That's so scary. It's terrifying. I don't know if that's true or not. I mean, I know it's not the same, but I've watched videos of people skydiving and they're they can be in all kinds of different directions. Yeah. I don't know. And all he did land face first, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know if you if you fall backwards, do you have to stay backwards? I mean, I know this issue has come up in other cases that I've looked at like you know, where a couple goes on a hike or whatever and one of them falls and then they're like, no, you pushed them and, you know, that whole thing. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't know the answer. I don't know if you, I don't know if you turn or if you, 17 stories is a long way to fall. Yeah. It's very quick. They said it happened three to four seconds. But if it happened in three to four seconds, how good of a look could anybody really have gotten, you know? Mm -hmm. I don't know. Well, and you talked about like the the big scuffle or whatever, like, or the struggle that ensued between them or whatever and how it might not have been that big. I think that they're only basing that off of the neighbor hearing, like, somebody running, which, yeah, he wasn't there for it. I don't know if that can be that concrete of evidence. And also, aren't there drugs? I've watched, <laughs> I mean, and this is not obviously by any means science, but I've watched Intervention. I've watched, I've witnessed it at a, a gas station. People who are very clearly messed up on drugs and can't even hold themselves upright. Mm -hmm. I don't know what kind of drugs Josh was on. I don't know. If it was right. just marijuana cigarettes, I don't know if that's enough. But right. like, you know, I don't know. I feel like there's a lot of holes. There are a lot of variables that you cannot 100% say this 100% happened and this 100% did not happen. Yeah, exactly. And we also know from many, many studies that eyewitness and earwitness accounts are very unreliable because what does your brain do, especially as an earwitness? If you're hearing something, your brain fills in those gaps. Mm -hmm. You're like, well, this is what I'm hearing. I mean, it's like that um, 
I saw a thing where people would play like sound effects and be like, like for movies, like, okay, what do you think we use to make this sound effect? Oh, yeah. It was the scene, I think, in, um, in not another teen movie where she, they're doing the battle shits. Oh, and, yeah. um, is that the movie that that was in? No, I thought it was White Chicks. Oh, was that it? Yeah. What, whichever one, it was, it was battle shits. I know it was battle shits. So whichever movie that was, they were, you know, making the, the sounds of these women having diarrhea. And what they ended up using were jars of pickles and they were pouring them out. And that's what they used to make the, make the noise. But it was like, oh. okay, guess what we used. And like, if you only are hearing it, there's no, there's no way. But like, once you're told that that's what it is, you're like, oh, that's definitely what it is. It's just, yeah. you know what I mean? Like your brain wants to close these loops and, and it's. Well, and if you're an ear witness and you know the outcome and you hear all of these, yeah, these other details. Mm-hmm. You're going to put two and two together and create an, a complete story. Yeah. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't talk to those people. I think it's very important. Um, I, think I don't that think he... a prosecution or a trial should hinge on those, though. Right. Yeah. There needs to be other evidence that backs it up. You have to have the complete story. And when you just use one or two pieces, I mean, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, it, it's not the full picture. The day that Josh fell... His bags were found packed, and it looked like he was preparing to leave. Amber said that he had packed already for his trip to Tennessee, which was, as we, I guess, have been told by Amber, was what sparked their argument because she wanted him to be at her stepdad's wedding or at her dad's wedding. Josh's father, though, said that he had called him that day um, shortly before he died and that Josh told him that he was planning to leave Amber. And he said the reason was that he couldn't stop her from using drugs while she was pregnant with Levi. And he said he wanted a divorce and he was planning on fighting for full custody of their child. And I think he had asked his dad to come pick him up, but his dad was at work and he couldn't pick him up right then. And he tried to, like, find a friend. Like, there were other people that were trying to call like be called to pick josh up for sure that he reached out to yeah oh and so the like you yeah so he asked other people to pick him up and the prosecution was like well he could have just been looking out the window to see if his friend was there to pick him up when she decided to full-on run at him and shove him out the window hmm they brought up a quote that the repairman said that he heard amber say just after the fall she said, my husband fell out the window. I pushed him. He's probably dead. That doesn't sound good. It doesn't sound great, no. But it kind of goes along with what she said when she got to the police station. Yeah, I guess so. That's not, that doesn't seem like brand new information to me. No. Amber agreed that, yes, Josh's bags were packed, but she said she's the one that packed them, and he wouldn't let her leave him. She said that she was kicking him out because of their argument and that she was the one who had asked for a divorce. And she did provide text messages that she felt backed up her argument from the day before the fall. Who do you want to be, Amber or Josh? Um, I'll be Josh. Okay, I'll be Amber. I don't believe anything you say anymore, so please don't waste your time. Ten minutes is all I ask for I'll be home. This is not your home. You're just staying here. I want to have a home with you. I'm sorry. I've been such a shit. I'm done of complaining. 
and always trying to spend my time with my friends when I should be spending it with you. Hmm. I mean, that kind of corroborates her story. Yeah, it does a little bit. It definitely doesn't sound like he's saying, I want to leave. I'm done yeah, with this. Yeah, he's acting like he wants to make it work. Look, give me another chance. I'm, I'm tired of, I'm sorry that I'm doing all of this. Mm-hmm. Neighbors also reported hearing arguing just before the fall, hearing a male voice yelling, well, what do you want me to do? And a female yelling, I want you to grow up. Paramedics on the scene said that Amber said to them, I pushed him, which again, like, yeah, we know that she pushed him, but did she push him out the window on purpose? Right. Pushing him and pushing him out the window, intentionally trying to murder him are completely different things. In an argument, if he's got her, his hands on her and she pushes him away, mm-hmm. that's different. And right. it could be a push that caused an accident. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. During the trial, they the prosecution wanted Amber to recreate the push. So they had her get up and come over to one of the detectives and show how she pushed him. And when she pushed him, so she's not pregnant anymore at this point, and they figured she'd be stronger than she was even on the day that she was pregnant just because she's not super pregnant. And she pushes him, and he, like, it's like he didn't, it's like a feather hit him, I guess. It was like nothing, he didn't move, let alone did he fall down or, you know, anything like that. Like, he barely flinched. Okay, but was this man kind of like the mountain on Game of Thrones? Oh. You know what I mean? Like, what if this man is essentially John Cena and nothing will move him? That's true. But they were like, okay. So she didn't move him much, okay, guys? But she didn't have a running start this time and last time she did. So that Mm. doesn't really matter. If you are swinging in the air. Yeah. I don't know why you would ask somebody to recreate the push that they did because she could very easily walk up there and not put any... uh, Obviously, she's not going to put her full strength into it. Right. And it's somebody she doesn't know. So she's not going to walk up and just be like, <laughs> like, yeah, maybe they didn't tell her, like, you can do it. Put your back into it. Like, what did, did they expect I, her to come up and push him as hard as she could? I have no idea what they expected, but it happens often. I mean, people are all they they ask a lot of people, like, recreate what you did here. Show us yeah. where you were standing. Show us how you how you, you know, I think they did it with Robert Durst. Oh, and his neighbor, like, yeah, you know, it's. Ex- Show us. I don't know if they said show us, but, you know, like they want to run down. They want a reenactment. It's like that's not necessarily the best way to go about investigating something. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, unless you're trying to catch somebody in a blatant lie, you know, like the evidence shows that you were on the other side of the room or, you know, whatever it is. And then you're Mm -hmm. like, okay, well, this is what happened. Like if they were just using it to try to get her. To get tripped up, I could maybe see that. But if they're like, well, she's going to push this guy and you're going to see how hard she can actually push. If she's guilty and she did mean to push him out the window, she's certainly not going to walk up here and use her full strength because she's going to try to make it look like I'm just a tiny little woman. I can't push this big man over. Like, either exactly. way, you're not going to get. Yeah, it just doesn't make sense. No, it's, it's ridiculous. 
Three hours after the jury was sent out to deliberate, they came back with a verdict. Amber was found guilty of the second-degree murder of her husband, and the jury recommended a sentence of 25 years, and the prosecution was okay with that, and um, she was she was sentenced to the 25 years. That's what the judge went with, and Amber broke down in the courtroom. I mean, you know. Okay, again, going back to the whole plea deal situation. Yeah. If they thought that five was fine, why why jump to 25? Right. They're just punishing people for not accepting a plea deal. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And a lot of people speculated that the 25-year recommendation from the jury was... For the 25 floors that he fell. Yeah. Well, and he didn't fall the full, but it's that's the floor he was on. That's, right. Yeah. But it's like... That also doesn't make sense because he didn't fall the 25, so I don't know. But a lot of people thought it was because of the the floor, the 25th floor. So after the trial, um, Amber's family was incredibly vocal after her sentencing, particular, particularly her mother. Her mother still is vocal. Um, Rhonda believed the police department and press realized that they were a high-priority family and that this would be a great story with a lot of publicity and would get them a lot of ratings. She said that they wrote their own narrative of, quote unquote, the rich bitch kills military hero, and that there was so much evidence that was not presented at the trial that might have given Amber a chance. And she has referred to this case as the modern day Tulsa witch trial. Hmm. In February of 2016, Dr. Phil interviewed Amber where she was imprisoned at the Mabel Bassett Correctional Center in McLeod, Oklahoma. She was able to ask, I'm sorry, he was able to ask her some of the questions that she felt she wasn't given the chance to answer in court. She said that Josh had started getting high again and that when he went to boot camp in Texas, he went through withdrawal. Despite these claims, Josh's autopsy was clean. He'd been kicked out of the Air Force and Amber said that he was not in a rush to find a real job. She said that he wanted to continue to continue selling pills, and that's why he wanted to go to that concert in Tennessee rather than attend her father's wedding with her. She said everything just escalated that afternoon, and when he grabbed her, she called him a coward, a coward before pushing him off of her. And Amber said those were her last words to her husband before he fell to his death. And she said, I wish I could just go back and know if I pushed him it was going to happen. And Dr. Phil said that he felt like she was showing true remorse. That's interesting. For whatever that's worth, I guess. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about the window. Because, first of all, yeah, you, if she, if this is really what happened, if they're in an argument and she shoves him off of her and he does walk backward, trip over something, he should lean up against that window. That window should be strong enough that somebody falling into it is not going to break it and he's going to go careening through. Yeah. Yeah. Mark, I'm not sure how to say this guy's last name. Mark Meshalem is a Chicago window expert who inspects high-rise buildings, and he was an expert witness during the trial for the defense. He wrote a full report of his findings about the window that Josh fell from. 
When Josh fell to his death, University Club Tower apartment building was 46 years old. While some of the glass in the building had been replaced, Meshulam felt that the piece that Josh fell through was original. Cracking and deterioration were visible on the interior side with lots of caulking applied throughout. Amber said that there were often water and air leaks in the windows in the apartment, and she said that the sound of the window breaking was like the sound of a small glass bowl breaking. The glass wasn't tempered or laminated, and Meshulam said that if it had been, it was very unlikely that Josh would have fallen through. He said, to put it mildly, the incident glass would break easily in the presence of moderate impact. Wow. That's pretty scary. Yeah, it's scary. I'm sorry. I I don't know. I really believe that, well, I don't know. I just think that they had an argument. There was a tussle. There was a struggle. Something happened. I think that tensions were high at that point in their marriage for sure. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't believe that she did it intentionally. I do think that she probably shoved him, but because the window in question was basically paper thin, he went through it and it was a freak accident. I think that she could have not planned that. That's that is insane to me. Yeah. She would have had to position him just so. Mhm. And it doesn't make any sense. And like I said, the autopsy not showing any drugs or anything in his system is very telling. Mm-hmm. But let's go with the route of him being on drugs, especially uh, prescription pain pills or something like that. His stability is probably not all there. So there, the people who were asking her to like to ask Amber to push the defense or the investigator was he impaired at all? Right, like, and he knew there it was were coming. Too many variables, yes, yeah. Like, he's bracing himself for it. Josh is not. Right. Yeah. And how easy is it when you are walking backwards to lose your balance? I do it all the time on on solid floor. Yeah. Yeah. I I agree with that. Because I don't think what they're saying is he threw this laundry basket or whatever and broke a window in the bedroom and she saw that and said, this is my way out. I'm going to shove him through a a window. Yeah. Yeah. She, I am not saying that she's not a smart person. I just am not, I don't think that that registered to her. Mm -mm. Like, I feel like that is, you would have to kind of be like this mastermind kind of person to be like, okay, This window broke really easily. I'm just going to go ahead and assume that all the other windows break really easily. I'm going to start a fight with him. I know it'll get him riled up. I'll shove him, make sure that he goes through that window, and then it'll just look like an accident. Like, I just don't think that she planned that because I don't think that you could know that all of those things would line up, you know? Exactly. Yeah, I think she just... I think that there was domestic violence in that relationship on both ends. And this was another another instance of that. But I don't think that, I just don't think that her plan was to kill him. If you wanted to maybe charge her with manslaughter, you know? Yeah, that makes sense to me. Yeah. 25 years in prison for this, I just don't understand it. 
And she was 19. Like, I also Mm -hmm. really, really think that there is something to be said for how young they both were, you know? And you factor on top of that that they both regularly use drugs. Mm -hmm. That's going to add to things. That's going to make things worse. And they're both so immature. Their brain, you like, our brains are not fully developed till what, like we're 25? Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't think either one of them were 25. Wasn't Josh 23? He was 23, yeah. Yeah, so it, it just doesn't, like, 25 years, I, I don't think she could have, I just don't think she pushed him on purpose to kill him. I think what would have been so much more beneficial in this situation would have been to get her into some anger management classes, you know, help her develop some coping mechanisms so that she doesn't lash out in a violent way with people. Mm-hmm. Um, could it have been a situation where eventually they did get so heated that one of them killed the other person intentionally? Probably. I mean, it could. You never know. But I think they both were just so, they would just get so angry when stuff would happen that it's just like they didn't have that that self-control to make themselves walk away from the fight or stop or whatever it was. Right. And I think, I mean, it, it's it's absolutely a tragedy, but I do think something more needs to be looked into those windows, even if, even if she got a running start and shoved him into that window, that window should not have broken. Mm-mm. Don't you think? Mm, yeah, definitely. I mean, because that could, under- that could mean that like, you know, how many people trip and fall in high rises like every day that would mean that like mm-hmm. all these people would just be like dropping from buildings all the time <laughs> right exactly kids children you know like it, it's not safe for anybody to live in those buildings Mm-mm. and if that's if if a if a window is that easy to break there's no yeah. way now i definitely don't want my kids going up to our windows you know on the second floor and trying to run themselves through them but i know that that window is going to hold up to if they're wrestling and one of them falls backwards, you know, I'm not mm-hmm. I'm not like, oh, my God, don't ever go near a window like because that's the windows are so much stronger than that. There's just no reason I feel like Mm-mm. even as heavy as he is that he if he were to fall backwards, he would go through that window. Yeah, exactly. I don't I don't buy it. That's ridiculous. Yeah. So the Chicago window expert looked into everything and his findings were the Hilberling and Whitlock families have suffered a fatal set of circumstances that came together on that fateful day. It started with a domestic dispute, which brought Josh Hilberling Hilberling in direct contact with weak, unsafe, poorly supported glass in a poorly maintained building on a day when chimney pressures were already pushing the glass out, wind pressures were sucking the glass and him out and the wall beneath the window added to whatever tripping may have been in progress. As happens so often in death and injury cases, factors piled upon one another, creating a catastrophic result. I did not know those things affected glass and that it would push the glass out. Yeah, I didn't. I mean, I didn't either. It kind of creeps me out a little bit. Yeah. 
I was like looking at my windows, like, do they look pretty straight to me? I don't know. <laughs> How are you supposed so, to tell? Yeah, right. Why bring in a window expert if you're not going to take that into consideration at all? I don't know. The prosecution brought their own. I read somewhere that the prosecution brought their own window expert in and their window expert was like, no, these were totally fine. <laughs> well, that's what I read or heard. Yeah. And I think so it's like. Pointless, I guess. Yeah. I mean, it's just a wash at that point. We've got mm-hmm. two experts that say completely different things. But to me, logically, I would think it shouldn't be that easy to go through that window. Mm-mm. Because that, that that apartment complex would would be out of business with how many windows they'd have to replace, with how many kids throw shit or, you know, or grown couples throw stuff and fight and like if all of your windows are going to be that weak then your whole daily job you're going to have somebody whose job 40 hours a week is getting repairmen out there to fix those windows or they should have at some point when they weren't the building wasn't kept up to code because of the windows they needed to replace all of them Mm -hmm. with tempered glass that fit properly and could withstand the weight of a person leaning up against it or whatever, because that's a liability. Yeah, exactly. But that would cost money and cut into profit, Dory. True. The fuck is your problem? I don't know. I'm just stupid. I guess I don't know. You want them to save lives over money? Ew. (laughs) Yeah, that's ridiculous. Yeah. Amber's parents visited her often in prison, and they would bring Levi to visit her too as much as two times a month. Her parents said that Levi believed that his mother lives in a castle and was so beautiful that she needed guards to guard her. That's, like, kind of sweet, but I don't. How do you feel about it? You don't love it? it? Yeah. I don't know. I I think for a small child, that's probably the best way to spend something like that. Okay. But at the same time, he's not just Amber's child. He's Josh's child, too. Yeah. I wonder what the story was about Josh. I hope that he was made aware. I don't think that... I think it It kind of goes back to um, what we've talked about in other cases where she, she's been given a very, very, very heavy sentence, in my opinion. I think that it's a little too excessive. I also think that she's probably done a lot of guilt tripping herself and shaming herself. So she probably doesn't need somebody else to be like, oh, and guess what? You did this. But at the same time, there's two sides to that story. And if he's only getting Amber's parents' version. Right, right. Yeah. That's not necessarily fair. I did go on, there's a Facebook page that Rhonda, I believe, manages. Um, and it's like, I think it's called like In Loving Memory of Amber Hilberling. Um, but it's mm-hmm. it's a page dedicated to Amber's memory. It's she does post updates about like she would post updates about the case and stuff. Amber apparently did a documentary called it's called Women Who Kill, but it's not. Isn't there a isn't there a show called that too? Uh, like a I series. So. This is not a series. It was like a just a documentary that had three cases in it. One of them was that, I forget her last name, Dee Dee something, who killed, um, oh, I forget his name now, the guy who won the lottery. Oh, Abraham Shakespeare. Shakespeare. I was like, I knew there was a big name in it. So, yes, it was, uh, so that lady, uh, Dee Dee, I forget her last name, but 
she's the one who was like pretended to be a money manager. And after Abraham won the lottery, she came up and, you know, was trying to help him and all this stuff. And then they ended up finding him dead because she had very obviously killed him. Uh, Dee Dee Moore. So she was in, she was one of the cases. And then, um, I don't know if you remember this story, but I remembered it from Snapped. This woman named Anna Trujillo. Um, she was dating this guy and they lived in like a high rise apartment or something. And she killed him with a stiletto. Gosh, that sounds so familiar. Yeah. I bet if you, as soon as I saw her name, I was like, is that the stiletto lady from snapped? Um, but it's those three cases and it's this like one documentary. I couldn't find anywhere to watch it. It's like been removed everywhere. You can't, I, I couldn't watch it. I'm sure other people could. I'm not good at maneuvering stuff. That's not on the first page of Google, but she recorded that. So Wanda, Wanda, Rhonda, God, Rhonda had posted an update on that in the Facebook page and stuff like that. But what I did see, anything that she said about Josh seemed to be very warm and loving. I mean, even though I do believe that they, um, I think that they thought that he was, I mean, because she will also post stuff like, Okay, well, this is the narrative in the media, and Josh got kicked out of the arm or the Air Force because of drugs and like all that stuff. She'll post that kind of stuff, but when she posts pictures of Levi, she would be like, you know, his mom and dad sure did make a beautiful baby, or um, we talk about his mommy and daddy in heaven, or he's got Josh's eyes and um, stuff like that. So I think it seems like they're keeping Josh's memory alive with him as well because he, I mean, oh, yeah. he never even got to meet. Josh, obviously, he was right, still in in the belly when this happened. But um, I hope he's like in a lot of therapy. Yes, I think he'd have to be. Yeah, because okay, so he obviously he never met his father, but on October twenty fourth, twenty sixteen, Amber's mother and father both received calls from the prison. They both were left voicemails. They tried multiple times to call back, and they were either hung up on, transferred. They couldn't reach anybody. Finally, they got through to someone at the prison, and Rhonda said the person on the other end only said three words before hanging up, she is dead. What is wrong with people? I have no idea. I mean, just, I don't know. It's a cold and callous way. That's somebody's loved one that has passed away and left the earth, and all you can manage to say, you can't be bothered with, like, having an actual human interaction with human decency to be like look i'm so sorry that this happened but she's gone yeah just she's dead bye mm-hmm. like got other stuff to do bye yeah it's ridiculous they said for the next eight hours they tried everything they could to reach someone else at the prison because they didn't have any information like they didn't know what happened to her they didn't know what was going on and she said they ended up just having to piece it together by watching the news They said that they learned that Amber was found dead in her prison cell and another inmate had found her hanging and it was the cord of a curling iron wrapped around her neck. Fifteen minutes later, she was pronounced dead and her autopsy ruled her cause of death as asphyxiation and hanging by suicide. Um, But after that, like other inmates and prison guards started reaching out to Amber's parents saying that they should investigate her death and her family strongly believes that she was murdered. They said that she was not she was not defeated 
about being in jail for as long as she was going to be in jail. She wasn't depressed. They said that she was hopeful. She was excited. When she did interviews, she talked about being hopeful and talked about doing something productive while she, you know, with her time there. And that everything she did, she her goal was to get back to her son. Mm-hmm. And the night before her death, she had spoken to her son on the phone about Halloween costumes and, you know, is he going to be, if he's going to be Batman, she would be Robin. And um, they also thought it was really weird just, like, how they were contacted because she said both Rhonda and her husband's cell phone numbers were listed as Amber's emergency contact, but the messages left were on their work phone numbers, not their cell numbers. That doesn't make any sense. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it's that's weird. There were cameras everywhere in the prison, of course, but um, I'll give you three guesses as to why we can't use the footage and you probably only need one. <laughs> because the cameras weren't working at the time of Amber Hilberling's death. Exactly. It's either that or somebody taped over the footage, right? But yeah, mm-hmm. they didn't work. It's like, I, I get that like, I mean, it still pisses me off, but I get that You might have something happen at a gas station and then be like, oh, well, it didn't work that day. At a prison, your cameras better fucking work all the time. And if one of them's not working, you need to get it fixed ASAP. Yeah, there are certain places that a camera needs to be working at all times. And at schools, I feel like Mm -hmm. uh, prison, uh, jail cells, there are other places. But those are two that are coming to mind right now. Where I'm like, that shit needs to be in full working order all the time. Right. Exactly. And they said that also the time... That it happened was a time that, like, prisoners would be out and were in public areas. It was a social time. So they said Amber wouldn't have been expected to be alone. Yeah, she wouldn't be by herself. And she wouldn't be able to, because people would be walking around and stuff, you know? It's not like you're going to have total privacy at all. So anybody could have come in. Yeah. And her family had heard that she'd recently gotten into trouble at the jail and was sentenced to 90 days without visitation, which would have included Halloween, Thanksgiving, and Christmas. Despite this, they completely rejected the possibility that her daughter could have been suicidal. During her autopsy, scars were found on Amber's arms and wrists, which were assumed to be from self-harm. She, had, she also had scratch marks on the left side of her neck, abrasions on the right side, and a red-purple bruise on the right side of her jaw, all of which her family believed to be from self-defense. Amber was also found to have meth in her system. There was severe damage done to her neck, and her sternum was broken, which was consistent with CPR being performed. I did not realize that until, I can't remember what case I read about or whatever, but they said that pretty much anytime somebody gets, like, real proper CPR, their sternum's going to be broken. That's insane. That's scary to me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's got to hurt so bad. Yeah. They requested an independent autopsy or to have a doctor that they trusted to be present during the autopsy, but they were denied. And many people said that fellow convicts in the facility had a problem with Amber. Um, they didn't like the media attention she got, and she got special privileges, too. People claim that guards were mentally torturing her about Josh's death, joking with her when she got close to windows. Someone even said they'd witnessed her being forced to wear a dog muzzle while out in the yard. Jeez. That's terrible. Is that what they mean by special treatment? (laughs) Right. 
<laughs> Golly, what the hell? In September of 2018, a cryptic message was shared to the In Loving Memory of Amber Hilberling Facebook page. It's unknown exactly who it originated from. Oklahoma Department of Corrections and Mabel Bassett Correctional Center are responsible for covering up the murder of Amber Hilberling and making it look like a suicide. Amber Hilberling was murdered by an inmate named Patricia Rucker, in quotes, T. Rucker. Hours before Amber was found hanging in her cell, Rucker, who's doing a life sentence, told Amber to go kill herself. Rucker was housed in a separate block than Amber and was not allowed in her pod. However, the guards allowed it anyway. Rucker is in prison for strangling her girlfriend over 20 years ago. Amber was found hanging by the cord of her hair straightener. Her body was not removed from herself for hours. She was left there so long so that the prison's internal affairs department could get to the murder scene before the medical examiner. There were claw marks on Amber's neck where she tried to fight off her attacker and remove the cord. Amber was working with Dr. Phil and had an interview coming up with the local news station KJRH. The prison did not want the world to know an inmate killed another inmate, and they let it happen and did nothing about it. Since Amber's case was so high profile, they had to cover up what they let happen. The warden of the prison and several guards ate McDonald's and laughed about her murder, all while Amber's body was still hanging. It doesn't matter if you believe Amber deserved to be in prison or not. Her seven-year-old son deserves to know his mommy did not choose to leave him. Her life was taken from her, and I will spend my life trying to prove it. Wow. Why would you make that an anonymous statement? I have no idea. Like, I'm going to spend my whole life trying to prove this. Yeah, it's like, if you're going to be a vigilante yeah. and fight for this, then step up and say it's you. Maybe it's Zorro. It could be. It could be the the guy looking, what is his name? Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Oh, yeah. Yeah. How is this guy still leaf-blowing? Torella? How many fucking leaves are there? <laughs> don't even <laughs> ask me. I don't know. Let's get this done. I can't deal with it. <laughs> 24 hours before Amber died, she wrote a letter to a local news station that had been reaching out to her requesting an interview. The letter arrived at their station just a day after she died. She said that she would consent to the interview despite some reservations, saying that she would because I can't let go of the hope that using my own voice in conversations about my own life will be the one and only chance I have to change the circumstances of my own reality. To this day, no one will ever know exactly what happened in that 25th floor apartment except for Amber and Josh. Amber's family continues to fight for her innocence and to find out the truth of what happened in her jail cell that day. Rhonda is raising Levi and makes sure that he knows how loved he was by his father and his mother. And that's it. It definitely, I mean, I don't know. It definitely does not seem that, like, she was making future plans and stuff like that. You know, she was agreeing to interviews. She was working on the Dr. Phil show. She was doing all these other things. She seemed very hopeful. But I don't know. That's one of those things that you just... You can't know. It, you never really know what's going on in somebody's head. Yeah. Exactly why this case is one of my least favorite types of cases. <laughs> there are so many unknowns here, and it pisses me off. It's an unsolved mystery. I don't know. I'm sure plenty of people feel like it's solved because they're like, well, she pushed him out the window on purpose, and then she killed herself. 
but I'm just not sure of those. Well, I think the leaf blower guys are making it obvious that this episode is over. Uh, we're sorry that this is happening, but we don't have a professional studio, so. Um, yes, again, so, so sorry. Yeah, sorry about that. Um, but I guess that's uh, podcast life, right? Yep. Yep. Just the way the cookie crumbles. All right, guys, before we wrap up for today, we've got some shout outs for our newest patrons. So we are super excited and Yay. we've got a big hey girl. Thanks to Marissa. Thank you to June R. Abigail T. Courtney P. Jenny W. Corey T. Kimberly L. Deja D. Sydney B. Catherine S. Abby H, Andrea M, Amanda R, Natea H, Georgia N, Carrie M, Christine C, Susie J, Stephanie W, Amber N, Dana W, Zeta M, Amy F, Pure Liberty, Jessica H, Ronja B. You're getting all the um unique names. Yeah. <laughs> I hope Please, I'm so sorry if I'm messing them up. Yeah. Christine F. Stephanie. Jessica B. Autumn H. Stephanie B. Sarah. Nina M. Darlene S. Stephanie G. Erica S. Becca P. Georgia R. Amy B. Keely B. Ashley. Danae G. KCR, Amy W, LK, Lauren H. Lauren, you know, know so and so. (laughs) I saw that come through and I was like, oh my gosh. Sierra H, Molly B, Autumn C, Beth G, Maggie D, Heather D. Lena G, Leah J, Alyssa R, Kieran H, Desiree L, Stephanie R, Flannery B, Holly, Megan H, Jesse B, E C, Kendall S, Ashley W, Caprina N, E S B, Katie I. Tracy H, Brianna M, Kendra M, Zamber Z, Chelsea A, Haley B, Justin R, Charlotte H, Brittany H, Lori P, Holly Kate R, and Grace G. Oh my God, you guys, thank you so much. We love you. Yes, and we are so happy that. It took us that long to say them because there are so many of you. Thank you guys so much. Yes, you guys are really like making our whole damn year. We love you. Yes, we're making dreams happen. Thank you so much. Yes. We love you. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this case. Connect with us on Instagram or Facebook to continue the conversation. Thanks for listening and we will meet you back here next week. Bye. Bye. The theme song for the show is created and composed by Stephen Toby. You can find more of Stephen's work on SoundCloud. Our logo was created by Sloane Williams of Sophisticated Crayon. You can find more of her work on Etsy.
Visit us at killerqueenspodcast.com for merch and other info about the show.